You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hey folks, and welcome to Let's Talk Apple episode 46, the show for June 2017, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have a fabulous panel, uh, geographically quite nicely spread out too, and all of this despite the fact that most Americans are getting ready to eat lots of food tomorrow and blow things up in the evening. In other words, it's the 3rd of July as we record this. Uh, let me see, closest physically to me, we have Dermot Daly from Tapadu back with us. Hi Dermot. Hi, hi Bart, how are you? Not too bad at all, pleasure to have you back Dermot. Thanks a lot. Um, next closest to me geographically, we have Nick Riley from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland back with us again. Hi, Nick. Hi, Bart. Thank you for having me on again. Good to be back. Pleasure as always. Nothing special, of course, for us here. It's not It's not some sort of fancy day. So for us, it's just a normal Monday evening. But our final guest is Linda Goucher. And for Linda, it is the eve of Independence Day. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us when you're supposed to be on holidays. Hi, Bart. I'm, I'm taking a break from uh, household chores such as painting windowsills, so it's just perfect. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll distract you. We'll, we'll do our best to distract you from that then. Um, that should be a bit of fun. Okay, well, we have oh so much Apple news to get stuck into uh, this month. Um, the rest of the summer will probably be awfully boring and very low on Apple news, but uh, goodness me, has uh, June made up for it in spades. Um so before we get stuck into the news from the month itself, just a few little follow-ups to things we have been tracking um, sort of over time. So we talked last time about GPU manufacturer Imagination Technologies. Um, they were more than a little bit cranky when Apple basically said gave them notice to say that we're going to be stopping using you as a supplier for the iPhone. We're going to make our own GPUs. They basically went, no, you can't do that. You, you must somehow be in our patents somehow. Um, and they sued Apple uh, this month, uh, or in June, um, they put themselves up for sale. So I think they may be uh, realizing the inevitability here. So they are now a company that's up for sale. And uh, I've heard some people say that they may be courting Apple to buy them, which I guess is one way to deal with the problem. Just just, just buy us out, and then it'll all be well. Um, we talked, I think, two months ago about the very strong rumors that... Apple is working on a non-invasive um, blood sugar device of some sort to connect somehow up to the Apple Watch. Uh, some relevant news in that regard, the US Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, have outlined a new program aimed at fast-tracking digital health and mechanical technologies. So if companies want to bring out a new product, there's obviously an awful lot of process and paperwork because, well, it's health, that's kind of important. But this program allows the high-tech stuff to be fast-tracked. So if Apple were working on this, they would need FDA approval, and this would provide them a mechanism for fast-tracking said approval. So that could become important at some point in the future. And then the final bit of follow-up. Linda, do you mind taking this one? Because it makes my head hurt a little bit. <laughs> um, let's see. We're talking about the Fox... Oh, the oh dear. Yes. <laughs> the, the Foxconn... Um... Yeah, this this should make your should this should make many people's head hurt because it's incredibly complicated. Uh, Toshiba 
The old story was is that Toshiba is wants to sell itself, and um, Foxconn and Apple, among others, were a possible uh, buyer. Mm-hmm. However, evidently the J- Japanese government was not happy with that idea. Um, perhaps because it's Foxconn and I mean, there's all kinds of cultural things here. And then there's all kinds of cultural things, um, as well, cultural and business issues, but Western digital has an agreement. And as I understand it, part ownership of Toshiba, like 10% of the stock or something. And they're claiming that no, they have the right to say no, that, uh, Jap- Japan cannot decide to just sell Toshiba to a Japanese consortium. So I may not have said that very well out of sequence there a bit, but it is very complicated. The short story is, is that at the moment, as I understand it, uh, Western Digital is suing to keep Toshiba from being sold to the Japanese consortium. So this is a toss up in the air. It's, I'm not sure. It's also not clear to me what implications this has for technology per se, although Toshiba has has a good reputation for their NAND uh, yeah. flash business. So well, I think Apple would like to to have Foxconn be making that directly, I guess. Perhaps. Western Digital has uh, many of the fabs. I'm not mm. sure if they have all of them, but I know that the uh, many of the Toshiba chips have been um, produced in Western Digital's fabs. Yeah. So it's a very complicated situation. I st- say stay tuned and see what the lawyers do. Yeah, because the the last update that you, that you sent me was a Reuters story, which basically says that in the US, for some reason, Toshiba are suing Western Digital object. Western Digital are suing Toshiba in the US, and Toshiba have now filed a countersuit also in the US to sue Western Digital back. Why yeah. the U.S. courts are involved, I have no idea. But yeah, let let the lawyers at it, and we'll talk about it again next month. Yeah, I'm assuming that's because Western Digital is a um, U.S. company, and Toshiba is is uh, an international company. So Western Digital is going to file in their own home jurisdiction. Turf. Okay, interesting. Um, notable numbers before we go on to the main stories of the day. Um. Apple let it be known just before WWDC um, that they have crossed the $70 billion paid to developers uh, mark. So that's 30% of what they have taken in. So uh, this whole App Store business seems to be quite uh, lucrative. Um, So it's it's an impressive milestone. Um, A survey uh, by a consultancy company who I can't pronounce, finds that 60% of respondents trust Apple to keep their data safe, which puts them behind Amazon at 69% and Google at 65%, which just made my head explode so much that I sort of couldn't help but put it into the show notes because to me all it improves is the respondents of the survey are idiots. Um, (laughs) But that may just be my opinion leaking out a little bit. Yeah, it, it's also possible. I, I don't know this organization. I would say Morinning, Morinning, something like that. Consult, and I do know that surveys and polls, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, have to be done extremely well in order for their results to be credible. And sometimes, mm. even you know, sometimes they're not credible even when they are extremely well done. Yeah. Now, people are terribly poorly informed. Um, but you have Google or a company who make whose entire business model is selling your data. 
and people trust them more than Apple, who are constantly taking flack for protecting your data too much. So it, it uh, makes no sense. Um, another number which I find it hard to believe, if it's true, it's amazing. So Virto Analytics finds that nearly 25% of US PC users plan to switch to a Mac with their next computer purchase. That seems awfully high to me, but if it's true, it's amazingly good news for Apple. What, Again, what they don't say is they surveyed, they surveyed four people. <laughs> <laughs> there is always exactly a possibility, right? <laughs> It, yes. Yeah. And, and also, was this just um, was this excluding companies? Yes. It's, oh, yeah. No, it is. Yes. It's only it's only um, consumers in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the last one actually here is one that made an awful lot of news, and this is here as a story in how to interpret statistics. So, Tim, there's a thing called Glassdoor where employees, sort of like rate my teacher, but for CEOs. So, basically, um, employees rate their CEO, and every year they do a big press release and they announce the rankings. And last year, Tim Cook was at 96% approval, and this year, Tim Cook is at 93% approval, which is marginally lower, but probably within the bounds of error on this kind of thing anyway, and still in the 90s, which is pretty darn good. But because it's such a tightly packed field, that small difference in rating changes Tim Cook's position from 8th place to 53rd place. So it's basically they're all bunched together at the top. And so all of the news headlines are Tim Cook's popularity plummets. It's like, no. Only if you don't understand statistics or how to read numbers, Tim. 96 to 93 is not plummeting. 96 to 40 is plummeting. So... If anyone's heard that Tim Cook is really unpopular in Apple, no, he isn't. Yeah, I think all three of those notable numbers um, share the one thing in common, which is uh, a paper never refused ink and everybody <laughs> loves an Apple story. You yeah. know, I mean, every single one of the, you know, even even the one about the 25% of US users switching to a Mac, I don't buy that for a second, but it makes for a nice story and it gets you clicks and links and all that sort of stuff it probably does your ad network no harm but all of these things are absolute non-stories yeah yeah i think maybe i need to be more brutal in my culling but somehow i think it's sometimes <laughs> interesting to talk about the story for the point of saying that it, we don't believe it yeah no absolutely absolutely i mean yeah the 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 uh privacy one or the, the keeping their data safe one you know is Stunning, <laughs> you know. I mean, Stunning I mean, is a good word. Yeah. I mean, you can put it beside the fact that the EU have just sued Apple or just laid a big fine on Google for for I guess what they think is antitrust behavior. So. Yeah, it's uh, not not quite privacy that one. It's because was it Google pimp their own shopping sites above competitors, so they're using yeah, their search space yeah. to dominate um, online shopping. Yeah. Okay, uh, before we move into the big stories, one more bit of uh, sort of housework to do. Staffing changes and acquisitions. Um, rather disappointingly, uh, disappointingly, Bozeman St. John is leaving Apple to become chief brand officer at Uber. One assumes she likes a challenge. Um, <laughs> That's a great name. Isn't it? <laughs> do, do you remember yeah. her from the keynote? I mean, she really was something else. She is not your typical executive Um 
But she will certainly have her work cut out in Uber, uh, and definitely a loss for Apple to have someone <laughs> so charismatic yes. and energetic and exciting leave. I, um, I thought the announcement, the timing of that announcement was very interesting. It came out the night after Apple's WWDC keynote. That evening it came out, um, which, which I thought was interesting. So do you think that was done by Uber to try steal? It is, it's odd. It's, it, it's very hard to tell whether it is um, designed to, or it was, it, it's hard to tell whether it was, it was released in the hope that that would because there was so much going on in the Apple space that it wouldn't be noticed. Ah. Or if it was the complete opposite, it was Uber being Uber and shouting. It's, it's also interesting. It's also, in, sorry, dammit. Uh, it's also interesting, isn't it, that, um, that it's the chief brand officer she's going to be uh, for a company that has all sorts of problems that have nothing to do with brand. So, so they're, they're, it seems like their solution to all their problems is, well, let's change the logo. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the brand is officially in, in, you know, in the doldrums now. I'd say. I mean, all all of the problems it has, I think, have actually affected the brand. I mean, you know, I think it's, you know, certainly. My, I don't know whether it's just my stream, but it seems that everybody just thinks Uber is bad now. Yes, that's um, true. I think she's got a massive, massive job. And when I, interestingly, when I heard that announcement uh, i said i don't know how anybody would take that job with that ceo in place and obviously subsequent to her getting that job their ceo has stepped down or has been made step down so uh, one would have to guess that she knew that that was coming because i don't think the job would have been possible otherwise yeah who could possibly take the job if they knew that that he was going to hang around there and continue to be such a problem still on the board though i believe Anyway, um, thankfully we're not this week in yeah. Uber because I'd just be so depressed permanently. <laughs> yeah. Um, she is an incredibly strong woman. I just want to say that. she's She has really got some incredible energy behind her. And if they were going to make a statement that they were going to change, she is an excellent hire. Yeah. So, But she's a huge challenge. Yeah. I mean, from Uber's point of view, having someone like that be their public face at press conferences and stuff, that can only be a good thing for them, given what's going on for them. Anyway, uh, Apple also managed to hire away Dr. Sambal Desai, I'm going to say, and I apologize, Dr. Desai, if I got that wrong, which I'm sure I did. Um, Anyway, he is a director of Stanford's Stanford Medicine Center for Digital Health. And he's, sorry, she, oh, dearie me, right, make a complete mess of this. Uh, so, Dr. Desai, that's two apologies I owe you, but anyway, um, head of digital health, joining Apple, but she's continuing as a doctor in Stanford as well. So basically, she's still going to be seeing patients in Stanford Medical Center, uh, but she's working with Apple on projects as well. So, again, I think that shows how serious Apple are about the whole health thing. I think when you couple that with the FDA stuff, um, I don't know if I mentioned this mm. in the last time I was on, but we, at top of it, we've done some stuff in the in the FDA approval space. Oh. And it is massive. It's, it's, it's a serious amount of extra work. Um, and when the FDA made their announcement last month, uh, it did. It's, it did certainly uh, 
you know, kind of, it, it was a well-known announcement for, for an organization that wouldn't people wouldn't be particularly watching. Right. Uh, and it was because they were dealing specifically with mobile medical apps. And their argument was, um, was that, well, first, they're overloaded. And secondly, um, they believed that the regulation could be stifling innovation at this point. So that's why they're talking about fast tracking it. But the reason why everybody picked it up in the Apple uh, ecosystem wasn't just about the app side of things, but was, as you mentioned, about the blood sugar stuff. Mm. And I think the, the argument there was one reason why why an Apple Watch isn't already called a medical device is because Apple don't like to pre-announce and going for FDA approval is pre-announced. It's actually called pre-market approval. Yeah. So it has some very interesting changes in there in the whole health space, I think. Yeah, it'd be definitely interesting to watch that develop. Um, so if you would have been just dealing with, well, I say just, you would have been dealing with software as opposed to hardware. And even at the software level, you're saying it's a big, it's a big lift. So we, we what we actually did was we worked on we worked with a medical devices company and we've developed a companion app that works with the medical device, mm-hmm. but because it can control it, yes. um, it is definitionally part of the medical device. So there there is a whole collection of extra work you have to do, which is about proving that it's safe. So it's in terms of things like formalized testing. It's in in terms of how you design and document everything you've done. Um, but to, to give you an, an an example, it then means that there is a set of formalized testing that takes days to run and takes days to run on every iOS device, right? So as you can imagine, that's quite costly. Yeah. So if, if you just think about that from, from the point of view of will we add a feature? Well, adding a feature is going to trigger not just, you know, rewriting code. It's going to trigger rewriting specifications, rewriting designs, changing the code, and then running these days one days of tests so what what would be if you like a small few thousand dollar change in a non-medical device becomes a you know reasonably big five figure sum in a medical device do you know what i mean yeah 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 so you suddenly have to be really sure you want that feature exactly exactly or you bunch them up and you hold the whole thing back for six months and you do one big blast Exactly. So, so the the FDA the FDA announcement is interesting because it suggests they are going to ease the burden on medical mobile apps. It's good news for us, I think. Cool. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds interesting, and it's it's a space that I I want to see do well, just because I'm quite a big user of the Apple Watch from a health point of view, and it, it would be nice to see more innovation happening there. Sure. Uh, okay, and then the the final bit of comings and goings in terms of Apple staffing is that Apple have hired two uh, presidents from Sony Pictures Television, um, Jamie Elric and Zach von Amberg, whom I wouldn't have recognized by name, but I recognize their work, uh, Breaking Bad, say, Bloodline, The Shield. So these are these are pretty big people who have some serious experience making content, and uh, they are going to... See the overseas video programming worldwide for Apple. So that is an interesting hire, I think. Mm. Okay, uh, so main story. Well, one, other, one other staffing change, which okay. I think might be interesting to listeners. Well, not, not so much an Apple staffing change. Did you see that Chris Latner, who left Apple only six months ago, yeah. has not lasted at Tesla? 
Yeah, and he basically said pretty much straight up, yeah, it turns out I'm not a good fit for them. Yeah. At least he's honest. It's fascinating to see. He, he's always kept his um, his resume online, hmm. and he updated it. And he updated it about three days after that announcement. He said, finally got around to updating my resume. And what he has achieved in six months at Tesla was was absolutely stunning. <laughs> you know, he's just... He's, He's actually been involved in the rollout of a couple of full major editions of the of the autopilot software and stuff. But um, wow. it was interesting to see that he, he he's gone away already. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a pity. Well, one would hope that Cupertino her phoning him up and going, second thoughts. Would you like to come back? Yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, in terms of main stories, I've actually cut it down to two because of the month that was in it. So. We are obviously going to talk about WWDC, but I don't want to do it as a... I don't want to give equal weight to everything, so I do want to sort of run through what was announced so that we have a big picture view, and then I want to focus in on what I think are the big picture, sort of the most important things that happened, and then we well, basically, I'm going to ask all of us to focus in on what we think is important rather than focusing on everything. So I'm just going to start with just a quick rundown on what the role was, and then we can zoom in and, and tie it together in an interesting way, hopefully. So in terms of hardware, we got MacBooks and MacBook Pros with KB Lake. We got iMacs with KB Lake and up to 64 gigs of RAM. We also got a tease of a rather pretty-looking space grey iMac Pro with Xeon processors, which is coming later this year. And just before everyone goes, oh my god, does that mean there's no Mac Pro? No, it does not mean there's no Mac Pro. Literally within seconds of the slide coming up, uh, John Gruber had an email from Apple PR saying, this is not the Mac Pro we talked to you about. Um, There is also a 10.5-inch iPad Pro, which is replacing the 9.7-inch version of that device. And an update to the bigger, the uber big iPad Pro. There is a thing called a HomePod, which I'm sure we will be talking about. In terms of software, we're getting watchOS 4, which is, to be honest, mostly just tweaking, but uh, there is an AI-based Siri watch face, which is interesting. Um, macOS High Sierra, and that is the actual name. Um, it's sort of a consolidation update, a la Snow Leopard and Mountain Lion. A uh, bunch of nice features like using AI to block tracking cookies. Uh, auto Blocking of autoplay videos got the biggest cheer of the day, I think. Um, shows how annoyed people are with that. Photos up, gets a bit of TLC, uh, including a curves adjustment, so it is becoming more pro. Uh, you can type questions to Siri if you turn that on in accessibility. Um, the good news is that any Mac you have that can run Mac OS Sierra will be able to run Mac OS High Sierra. So no worrying about whether... No one's getting left behind, basically. If it can run Sierra, you can run High Sierra. Uh, and this, Apple have given notice. This didn't happen during the keynote, but it did happen during WWDC. It's just kind of nice to record the podcast a few weeks after when things get a chance to settle down. Uh, so Apple let it be known to developers later in the week that macOS Sierra will be the last version of macOS um, that will run 32-bit apps. So from January 2018, any new app coming into the App Store must be 64-bit. And from June 2018, even updates must update your app to become 64-bit. So 32-bit on Mac is really on final notice iOS 11 then, uh, customizable control center, drag and drop a files app to allow us to manage local files as well as files in the cloud, either on iCloud or Dropbox or various other services. Um, The ability to use the camera to scan documents, which is kind of rather cool, a do not disturb while driving feature. 
person-to-person Apple Pay, which is great if you have Apple Pay in your country or in your bank. Come on, AIB. Um, more powerful multitasking uh, and a dock on the iPad. We were definitely going to talk about that later. Uh, Siri API is extended to include to support more types of apps. Uh, app offloading feature to yet again try to deal with the low capacity devices Apple insisted on selling for too long a few years ago. Uh, again, type to Siri uh, instant notes, which means if you have a pencil, you can write on the lock screen and have it actually come out as a note when you later unlock the device, which is kind of cool. Uh, instant markup, uh, really cool way of handling screenshots. Definitely probably talk about that. Uh, native screen recording, which is a big deal for bloggers and stuff like that. Um, and iOS 11 is getting the jump on macOS. It is 64-bit only from day one. There will be no 32-bit apps on iOS 11. So a whole bunch of old apps are going to cease working. Any app that hasn't been updated in the last couple of years is going to die. And also the last of the 32-bit devices are going to be left behind, which means the iPhone 5, the 5C, and the iPad 4th Gen are going to be left behind. In terms of APIs that Apple pushed, a big push on augmented reality and virtual reality APIs. We're definitely going to talk about that in more detail. And then also Apple released something they're calling Core ML, which the ML is machine learning. And this is an API to bring effectively artificial intelligence into your apps. So for third-party developers, having those kind of tools just sitting there through a system-level library is actually game-changer. So I definitely want to talk more about that later. Uh, Miscellaneous stuff then, Amazon Prime coming to the Apple TV, the App Store is getting a bit of TLC... Uh, including some sort of of more curated content, sort of an editorial bent to it. Um, Apple have revamped podcasts, new app, new feed options, and uh, analytics are being offered. Michelle Obama gave a talk on day two of WWDC. The video is linked in the show notes. Swift Playgrounds gained support for hardware stuff like drones and robots and Lego Mindstorms and cool stuff. Uh, Apple finally released a Bluetooth version of their grown-up keyboard with the number pad. I've been waiting on that for the last decade, I think. So thank you, Apple. Um, iWork apps got some TLC, including support for EndNote, which is a big deal for some people, particularly in education. One terabyte iCloud plan is gone. It's been replaced by, or rather, the two terabyte plan has been dropped in price to slot in there. And I think more interestingly, you can now share one iCloud plan within a family, um, which is a huge deal because at the moment I'm wasting money on two iCloud plans that we don't use because, well, that's just the way we have to do it now. Uh, Apple have loosened the restrictions on HomeKit, so it's easier for nerds and geeks to tinker at home and also for corporations to develop products, although the the restrictions aren't loosened for actual shipping sold hardware. So this is kind of a win-win because we get all the same security we have now, but it's easier for people to do stuff. So that, that's kind of a good balance. And then Apple announced the winners of their annual design awards. So yeah, a lot of stuff happened at WWDC. Um, and I've probably missed something despite my best efforts. So I think probably the the first thing to do is to to, to ask everyone on the panel what, what your one absolute favorite thing was. Um, so anyone want to pipe in first or will, will I pick someone at random? Okay. Go and pick someone. <laughs> I'll pick someone. Eeny, meeny, miny, uh, Nick, what, what was your standout? What, what do you like most? Um, I think the iOS 11 upgrades for the iPad 
what excited me most, partly because I'm never going to be able to afford an awful lot of this stuff that they uh, they announced hardware-wise. Hmm. Uh, but what, but the stuff they announced for the iPad to do with interface and the way it's going to work that that excited me i thought that 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 shows an awful lot of potential yeah and just just, i guess to describe to the listeners so there's actually there's videos linked in the show notes actually at at letslashtalk.ie but you have easier to to manage multitasking with something that looks awfully like a dock it's easier to sling windows or not windows but to, to have multiple apps running at the same time side by side you can drag and drop just, just being able apps. To, yeah it was that it was that, that that really i really thought wow <laughs> that's yeah. what we wanted all along is it's just to be able to say oh oh i want to drop it on this piece of software you know it, it, that that's a real game changer for me yeah and we've seen demos because of course the the like, like I say, one of the fun things with WWDC is you're guaranteed that even if you spend zero money, cool stuff is coming in the fall because it's always going to have new software. It's the Worldwide Developer Conference. But there's also a sort of an instant gratification because all the developers get handed these APIs. And so they're at WWDC, surrounded by Apple engineers and all excited. So inevitably, they start playing. And one of the ones that really caught my eye is uh, one password. So they now have drag and drop support for a password. So basically you have one password running as a little strippy window down the side and you just literally drag passwords onto text boxes. I mean, it's, Ooh, I didn't, oh, I hadn't seen that. That sounds good. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's so many <laughs> oh, clever wow. things you can do with simply the ability to have drag and drop. And they also made a point in the keynote of explaining that this isn't this isn't your grandfather's drag and drop. This is security drag and drop. When when you hover over a window with something you're dragging, the window doesn't get told. Excuse me, doesn't doesn't receive details about what it is until you drop it. So basically, the way these things work is with event listeners, right? So when you hover over an app, if you're on your Mac and you go to drag and drop, if you hover over something that can accept what you're dragging, it will change because the OS fires an event. And on the Mac, the OS kind of tells the the window below everything about what's about to be dropped on it. Whereas in iOS, Apple have a chance to reinvent all this from scratch. And in iOS, all it says is, yeah, if if you're prepared to accept a drop, there's something here that could be dropped, but we're not going to tell you what it is until the point the user lets go. And so basically that means that the user is choosing which app to trust. So you can safely pass over an app which can accept drag and drop without any of your privacy being lost. It's, I love how Apple are able to, to to reimagine an OS with such strong security because iOS started off completely locked down and they're now opening it up, which is kind of the opposite yeah. of where things were on the Mac. Yeah. I also think that the it sort of validates multitasking, all, yes. of, all of these changes. I think... Um, I mean, we've had multitasking for a while now, but I don't know whether it's the same for everybody, but I hardly ever use it. I, I use think this will make, picture it, a make a little different. P- picture and picture is the multitasking I use, but the side-by-side stuff I don't use very much at the moment. Um, and I think I'm hoping that will change with, with iOS 11. Sounds like it to me. Yeah. Uh, also, we should mention it's multi-drag and drop. So you can, you can while you're dragging, you can keep adding things to the drag pile and then you can drop them all together. And some of this is coming to the iPhone as well. So if you want to move 10 icons from one home screen to another, you can pick one up and then add more to your selection, then swipe over your four screens and then drop the lot. And you can That's do cool. that with photographs and all sorts of stuff. So that, that again, is, is 
pretty rocking. Like most things that Apple do, they just seem to have really thought about it, you know, deeply and come up with something that looks as if it's going to work really well. So, yeah, yeah roll on whenever it's coming out. The fall. I'm going to piggyback off you here before I get before I throw over to the others because I think it's also worth saying that what really really caught my eye is very very related in the sense that it's about making the bigger iPads more productive, and that's this ability to when you take a screenshot or something or just when you're looking at a document to instantly mark it up and to export your marked up product. I mean the whole joy of the direct interface iOS gives you is that you are in direct contact with your documents and that's perfect for marking it up, for, you know, underlining things, circling around things, writing in notes in the margins. I mean, I'm in the education space, so you can obviously imagine how wonderful it would be to be able to quickly and easily mark things with with the Apple Pencil and stuff. So it's the level, like if you watch the videos of the new screenshotting feature in action, like you were saying, Nick, they've really thought it out. It reminds me of, you know, everyone was saying for years, oh, they need copy and paste, they need copy and paste. I mean, this is ridiculous. And But they took their time, they waited, and then they delivered a really well thought out implementation. And that's the feeling I get with this release of iOS 11. Like, they've been working on this for a long time, and they're releasing something that's, it looks really coherent and like it's going to be really useful. So I'm absolutely looking forward to having iOS 11 on my 12 point whatever inch ipad pro i think it's going to make that device absolutely sing i I just feel that they've actually taken another step so so there's quite a lot of people who talk about having mac os on the ipad and while we don't want mac os on the ipad because that would be horrible this is sort of another step in that direction it's sort of saying yeah you you can do um tablet like uh, sorry not tablet um laptop like things multitasking on the ipad but you've still got a touch interface you've still got an interface that works for touch i just think it's really clever and i think it, it, it is definitely taking us another step towards a device that for a lot of people will replace a laptop it, it, they won't need a laptop because they'll be able to do it by touching yeah, and I mean it's not the same as a laptop, and that's 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 not a bug; that's a feature. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else want to chime in on that before before I ask for for other people's thoughts? Okay. Um, uh, mini. Uh, actually, ladies first, which is not really first anymore because it's second. But anyway, Linda, <laughs> what uh, what caught your eye from the uber long keynote? Um, I've got three items and I'll go uh, just from a purely selfish point of view. I was ready and waiting for a new iMac and I now have one and Uh the screen is just fabulous. Um, I am still in the process, even though I've had it for more than a week, I'm still in the process of doing the setup just because, uh, I need to do, to do a clean install given many legacy items and there's some some items I just don't have quite put together yet. But sure. the screen is fabulous. I'm really looking forward to seeing if uh, the colors uh, that it will display will show some particular shades of flowers that I have and such. So that's that's entirely a, a, a personal thing. Mm. Um, on another – the other 
thing that jumps out at me, the other feature that jumps out at me is um, the safari features, both in terms, well, especially killing autoplay. Thank you so much for that, you know, because I can't tell you the number of times I've come down and hit a website, something where I want to read an article. I don't want to see the video. Uh, my spouse is asleep upstairs. I don't want the the iPhone or the, or the iPad or the iMac rather blasting out with yeah. the speakers I've got attached to it. And uh, it, it comes up in autoplay with a, a video I don't want to see or hear. So I'm very happy about that. And then the product, the new thing that interests me the most is the is the HomePod. Um, I have a million questions about it, which evidently no one knows the answers to yet. Because uh, I'm I'm just curious. I'm, I'm we are definitely in the market for new speakers, and we have very old JBLs with 30 pin dock connectors, and oh, wow. they don't always. Yeah, yeah, they they don't always work that well with AirPlay. They they work for a while, then they cut out, and they come in and cut out, and we have to turn them off, and we, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So something that would work really well uh, for the house, so I can play music when I'm doing household tasks, especially, and I'm up and down the stairs. Um, that that really interests me. But I'm I'm very interested in. Um, I, the thing. Let me just say this: the thing that has caused my uh, the hair on my back to rise in, in fear and anticipation on or fear rather no anticipation with respect to the uh, Amazon Echo is the idea of having a speaker always on where someone as I had heard someone uh, could stand outside the door and say uh, Alexa open the door <laughs> yeah. unlock the lock you know that's like no I don't think I want that in my house so um, but but I so I am interested to see I'm sure Apple won't include something like that, but I'm interested to see what they actually announce. I'm expecting more detail in the fall as to what this speaker will actually do. So, Well, I was very interested that Apple chose to market it as speakers first. Like, this is the, the, the focus, the entire focus of their announcement was on how great it was for music and how the technology learns the shape of the room and it makes it acoustically filling and the people who were given the demo were like, you know, it doesn't sound like a speaker. It sounds like room filling sound. And, you know, it was all about the music and the sound. Oh, yeah. And by the way, it'll do Siri. I mean, it was almost an afterthought, which is it just struck me as an interesting way to present the device. I, I, I have some theories on that one. Um, yeah, fire away. I got a Google Home recently. Um and it's great fun and you know you ask it all sorts of stuff and it goes off and finds the answers for you but i'd say it was in my house about about two hours before i capitulated and bought a google play music um subscription really because yeah because music is kind of what makes it so usable so yeah i can i can ask it what what this morning's headlines are and it starts playing BBC headlines um, actually you know top of the air radio um, yeah. headlines and so on you can ask it about recipes weather what's your day going to be like and all that sort of stuff but you do find yourself saying oh and throw on some music right so yeah. um, like I say I, I am an Apple Music subscriber and you if you had Spotify Premium or Google Play you can connect it to your um to your Google Home device and like I say I only had it a couple of hours and I said no I need to have the music on it so it, it's it's interesting that it, I, I think what Apple did was turn that whole concept up, um, 
on its head. Um, and let's face it, Siri doesn't have a great rap at the moment anyway. So uh, the, to my mind, it's a very, very similar device uh, to the Google Home. However, they're making it music first, and that's mainly its marketing. It, it is, of course, an intelligent speaker. It does do all that room-filling stuff and all that acoustic measuring and all that sort of stuff. Um but, you know, I, I think as it comes into its own, it becomes that home hub the way uh, Google Home, it, you know, is also marketed. So I think it's a way of setting itself apart from Alexa and Google Home. Yeah. But it's going to be a serious device, you know. Yeah, I think coming from, coming from a purely, um, well, not purely, coming from a, a cynical point of view, I also think that because they priced it where they did, they had to... They had to explain beforehand that this just isn't another Amazon Echo. This isn't just um, Google um, device. This is something different. Simply because if they'd just come out and said, it's going to be this much, everyone would say, but all the others are a lot cheaper than that. Yeah. So they had, they had to sell it as a music device first to explain why they were going to charge so much. But they have so that's, that's coming from my cynical... Way. But they have also engineered. Oh, oh no, no, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I agree with you entirely, but but the fact is, I wouldn't buy it at that price because the, the quality of the speaker isn't that important to me personally. Yeah, it's not what you want, right? You, what you're looking for is something else. Yeah, it may, I mean, may I am be... I am a musician, but 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 having really top-notch audio quality isn't particularly important to me as long as it's relatively good. I mean, I mean, I've got an, an Amazon device and it's fine for me, um, but but. But I agree with you that it, it does do all those things, and it is a brilliant device. Um, but I think part of the reason for putting all that up front was so that when they got to the price, people said, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. One, one other thing, Linda, you might be happy about is um, they uh, they have solved some of, the, um, some of the privacy concerns already. So there was a time where if a podcast said the words – Hey Siri, and I've said that slow so as to not set off my own phone. <laughs> um, it would set off all the listeners' phones, right? Whereas now, in fact, the the trigger phrase also does audio f- fingerprinting. So, um, if I stand up in my office and shout "Hey Siri," in theory, only my phone answers. Um, and uh, I was actually, I, I, I was at WWDC this year. Um, I was at a uh, the talk show live and ah. Phil Schiller said those words in an audience full of Apple nerds yeah. and um, it didn't set off every phone in the in the building. So the, there is some uh, good stuff being done in that area. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I also have the suspicion. I mean, I, I think the reason that they went with the I mean, Apple's products are always going to be higher priced. So I just take that as a given. But um, and that a lot of it, in my my own opinion, is, is it because it's just better engineered than most of the other products. And this is really considered to be more of a competitor to the Sonos speakers, which are also quite expensive. And, um, and but they don't have have the Siri or the intelligent uh, assistant aspect yeah. to them. So that's that's the other speakers we were looking at was, were the Sonos. And so now that Apple's coming out with this, it's it's better for us on multiple levels because this is a, is a solely Apple 
uh, household. But um, I'm, I just have this inkling, and I may be so wrong on this, but I have this inkling that they did not want to focus on the Siri aspect to it because they're working on some stuff that's not ready to show yet. And this I, is I just totally my, agree. Yeah. Uh, totally. Yeah. my intuition from having watched Apple over the years. So I'm like, I'm really, this intrigues me, and I'm just so curious to see what are they going to show when it's actually announced because I'm guessing that we'll get that at a, uh, or at least the, the story I've made up in my head is that we will get that as part of a, a demo in the fall when they introduce the the uh, new iPhone. So fingers crossed, and I'm like very eager. And I am, I will say, I, I'm. I understand I am somewhat unusual in this respect, but I use Siri every day, multiple times a day, and for the most part, she gets some somewhere more than 95, 98 percent of what I'm looking for. Not 100%, but very, very close. So either maybe I enunciate in a way that works or I don't know what it is, but somehow it works well for me. Well, I, 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 think it, I think it works well with North American accents, but also the fact that the services that Siri backs onto are generally better supported in North America. So, you know, um, your Yelp would be fuller, better featured. Your maps are better featured and so on. So just generally speaking, uh, in a country like Ireland, which isn't a big market, our Siri services aren't great. I can't ask it the the score in a game that's only shown in Ireland because I just never know the answer to that. Whereas, you know, you've you've probably got way more things you can do with Siri than we can. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, I, I, my pet theory, and it's, you know, I, I don't even have a vague acquaintance with a little birdie, let alone an actual little birdie. Uh, but my, my sort of expectation is that in the probably the fall event, when their Apple are finalizing their holiday lineup, there's a whole second shoe to drop on this. And that second shoe is entirely to do with the software of this device. They've told us the hardware, they've shown us the hardware, and they've said almost nothing about the software. And what I'll be looking for... I don't know if they've done it, but I'll be, what I'll be looking for is the ability for this device to connect to multiple iCloud accounts and to switch between them on the fly intelligently. So that if if, mm. if we were to buy one and I were to wander into the kitchen and say, Siri, when's my first meeting? Siri would tell me my first meeting. And when the better half comes down the stairs and says, Siri, when's my first meeting? The appropriate answer will be given. Or, I, th- I think we'll see that. Yeah. Really remind do. me later, and that the reminder yeah. actually comes to me and me alone. So it, yeah. that'd be cool. I think you will see that. I really expect that. And if they pull that off, they have differentiation. And then they have, they've done the iPod thing of coming barging into a market well after it started, but actually solving the problem. So that, that's what I'm looking for. And I've no idea if we'll get and, it or not, but that's what I'm looking and for. And I'd hope, I'd hope that they'll also improve Siri for those of us who are not in America. <laughs> yes, but it is getting As better, well. right? I mean, yes, it's never going well, to be on not, parity, um, well, but it is better. that's not my experience, Bart, but, but, you know, I, I've sort of given up several times trying to get it to understand me, so I don't okay. use it. Well, I, I don't, so, I'm not a big serious, but what I will say is, like, Apple Maps in Ireland is so much better now than it was five years ago. It's still oh, nowhere yes, near what it is in America, but nonetheless, it is improving. So at least things are heading in the right direction. Yeah. I remember when the, when the Apple TV, the new edition of the Apple TV came out, hmm. they, they demoed a feature where a person picked up the remote and said, what did he say? 
Yeah. And I think jump jump back fifteen seconds and switched on um subtitles hmm. and then switched them back off again. I can just see features like that. If you know but when you as soon as you see it you go, Oh, that is such a great feature. I think we're gonna see stuff like that when the when the speaker comes out. I don't know what that means. I don't know what they will be, but something along that kind of oh, I'm really glad you've put that feature in. I, I always wanted it. I just didn't realize I wanted it. Well, that's the Apple magic, right? Solving problems I didn't know I had, and it turns out I really, you know, it's a real problem. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah surprisingly, I, surprisingly, Apple TV is the one thing that does understand me. Um, oh, that's so I quite, I quite often search for stuff on YouTube and whatever, and it's really good at recognizing what I say. So that's peculiar, isn't it? Yeah. suggest that maybe a physical hardware device would do well for you too yeah maybe maybe hmm. now something i definitely want to mention as we're talking about all of these assistants is, is something which to me my sort of mantra on these things is follow the money so allowing a device into your home with a microphone that's always on is to me asking me for a lot of trust and i'm not opposed to it on principle I just want to think long and hard about whom I give that trust to and what their incentives are. And their incentives being corporations. Corporations are amoral. They're, they're, they're amoral. They're neither moral nor immoral. They don't have morals. They're profit-making machines. And so they will go where their business model tells them to go. So Amazon is a shop to try sell you stuff. And they are putting a device in your home at a cut-down price because they want they think it will make you buy more stuff. And they already, you know, so the, that is their incentive. And that doesn't ache me out massively, but it does sort of make me feel that Siri may be in my house, but, or not Siri, sorry, Alexa may be in my house, but she's not working for me. She's trying to, she's working for Amazon to sell me stuff. And I'm not entirely sure I like that, but it doesn't ache me out completely. Google is in the business of selling your information to other people. So Google putting a device in my home aches me out completely. Apple's in the business of selling me hardware. Well, that's fine. I'm going to buy Apple's hardware anyway. So they don't have the same conflict of interest. So should anyone become trusted enough to have an always-on microphone in my house, it would be Apple. But I'm still not sure anyone's going to get that trust for now because my favorite model is still the Apple Watch where until I raise my wrist, there is no microphone listening. When I raise my wrist, it listens. And when I put my wrist down, it stops. I, I kind of like that, but... I may be being a bit of a Luddite. But anyway, I, I am certainly going to be following the money on this. So Apple have a chance of my doing this. No one else does. Maybe not a Luddite. Um, maybe a little paranoid. <laughs> um, <laughs> paranoid? No, I, I think realistic. I mean, Google's business model is Google's business model. Oh, oh uh, yes, yes, I agree. I agree with that. Um, it's just that yeah, it, well, I, know, I know for a fact, having known you for a little while, Bart, that our levels of what what we will allow other people to know about us is very different. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I've got, I've got an Amazon Echo because I'm quite happy for them to sell me stuff. Uh, um, uh, and I don't mind them listening to me if they do listen to me. I'm, I'm probably very, very boring to listen to. So, uh, but to me, the <laughs> Amazon Echo is more like that. a Tesco club card. It, it's, it's not yes, the same yes, as a Facebook. Yes. It's not the same as a Google. It is, it is different. Which is why, which is why I I, meant, I I did put it in a different category because it's 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 not on the same level. And you know, some people will say, "Oh, Google are evil." No, they're not evil. Google are a company. They're neither evil nor not evil. They're not a person. They're a bunch of people who get together to make some money, and 
all corporations are like that. Apple aren't good. They're just a company who get together to make some money. So anyway. Um, I would, let me, before we leave yeah. off that entirely, um, one of my, one of the things that matters to me is when people are dissatisfied with Apple products, if it, if it is worth your time and if it's not, that's fine. I would encourage folks to do a feedback at apple.com and send yes. them feedback and say, this is not working well for me because they may or may not ever get to it. They may, you know, it may be six months or two years or whatever, but when they get the feedback, eventually that will get someone's attention. I I can say that twice. So I always do that. Whenever I feel cranky, if you ever see me tweeting something cranky about a company, that will, that tweet will be after I have gone to their feedback page and given them feedback, because I I believe you should give a company, you, you know, you shouldn't only rant about them on the internet so every time you see me tweet crankily about apple i have gone to apple.com forward slash feedback and gave them a reasoned argument first and then then vented on twitter and twice in the last five years i have gotten an email from apple engineering saying thank you this was forwarded on to us from the feedback department could you please give me crash logs so they definitely read it because twice they have answered I know two people in Ireland who had a rant, emailed Steve Jobs, and got responses there back you go. in the day. So there you go. Yeah, so they do listen, and so it's, it's, it's definitely a fantastic piece of advice. If you're, you know, if Apple are doing something you don't think is a, it, it just doesn't work for you. It's not you're not happy. Apple.com forward slash feedback. Um, now, um, Dermot, you a were at WWDC and b are a developer, so this conference was completely aimed at you. Um, you were the target audience. We were just sort of spectators. So I'm really interested in what caught your attention during that conference, and not just the keynote. I mean, the whole of WWDC. Yeah, actually, I'm going to disappoint you because the two things aren't really developer features. The two things that really caught my well, but eye. That's fine, uh, but you know, you are, you are you are the target audience. So whatever excites sure, you is important. Uh, Absolutely. One was the person-to-person payments. I think that's very interesting. I think we have seen lots and lots of people try to tackle this in the last number of years and nobody's actually got it right. Um, Embedding it into iMessage might be just the best way to do this. Uh, But there's a subtle thing here that's very important, which is... um, Say we went out to dinner, Bert, and afterwards I paid you half the bill to your via Apple Pay. Mm-hmm. Um, let's imagine you were with a bank that had Apple Pay, right? <laughs> I am. Dear, dear so, AIB, listen to this, please. Yeah. <laughs> so, so imagine what happens then is, say I gave you fifty euro. Hmm. Uh, you now have fifty euro in an Apple Pay account. Um, which I think is very interesting because that is not a bank account you have applied for. Um, Apple probably does know you in the KYC sense, in the know your customer sense. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even sure how you get that money. I don't know. Is it that as you spend, it comes off your Apple Pay account before it comes off your card? I don't know if they can load it back into your card because these are difficult. They're not difficult problems to solve, but they are uh, they're complex in terms of money laundering and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so I think that's very interesting. They keep mentioning that iMessage is the single biggest used app in the world. And they've embedded purse to purse payments right into it. So all these other people who are doing it and offering it and people saying it can be in WhatsApp before long and all that sort of stuff. 
nobody's cracked it well, and uh, I think Apple will. They did another thing, um, which was hidden away on a session on Friday called, um, what was it, business chat is what they call it. And this is where people are going to be able to send messages to companies via iMessage, and that will be delivered through a customer service portal. So the idea, and, and and didn't mention it in the keynote. Probably too there was too much in the keynote. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But there was a, just a session on Friday called introducing, um, introducing business chat, and I went along to it and I was like, oh, that's going to be really important because they are publishing a, U, a URL and an icon. So now everywhere that you can see a phone number, you'll see, you know the. the Companies will be able to put in a little chat icon, and when you tap it, it launches uh, iMessage into a slightly different UI with a kind of a verified banner across the top. You know, so now you're talking to Apple customer support, and it's not just two-way chat. There is structured data in it. So they they gave an example of a person going on and chatting to Apple, saying, "I'm interested in a new cover." They sent back a response that that showed up as a set of images with a selection. So the person chose the cover. They came back then and said, uh, if you want to buy it, here's an Apple Pay, um, you know, an Apple Pay action sheet that came back and you press tap and now you've bought it. And not only that, but you will be able to launch iMessage extensions. So, you know, you can you can have, I can see a situation where somebody says they're chatting to Airbnb and saying, I'm looking for something this weekend in New York. They come back with some options delivered through the iMessage extension to the Airbnb app, if you know what I mean. So yeah. some really, really powerful features coming in that, I think. And so obviously there's a whole API behind that then for for the companies to integrate the ramp yes. with their chat with iMessage. So they're publishing the API, but they've also launched four major customer service platforms: uh, Salesforce, Live, Live, uh, Live Fire, I think it was called, and two others that I hadn't heard of myself before. Wow. But um, so the idea is, yeah, they, they expect you to plug it into your customer service platform. Now they also are providing developers with a mock dashboard, so that you actually can run this dashboard and answer. Um, answer messages on the fly and so on t- for testing purposes. So I think this is a really big deal, but they did not make a big deal about it. At the keynote. Interesting. They mentioned it at the keynote. It was in, and, and, you know, if you have a developer account, go look for introducing business chat. I think it's very, very interesting. That's fascinating. Thanks very much for sharing that. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I... I definitely want to raise before we move off WWDC. I, I don't think we we can discuss WWDC 2017 without mentioning the fact that very obviously the three themes that Apple just hammered on at every moment they got a chance were A or V or an AI. I mean, whether they were talking Mac, whether they were talking iOS device, no matter what they were talking, they were talking about how 
this thing has machine learning in it, that thing has machine learning in it, this thing has VR technology in it, that thing has VR technology in it. Right down to the simple stuff like, how is it able to scan a document? Well, the answer is because it's using the AR technology to figure out how the paper is oriented and then actually take a perfectly rectilinear, quote-unquote, photograph because it's not really a photograph in the traditional sense because they're using the AR technology. I mean, it's it's just embedded throughout their device. So obviously, Apple are completely all in between Core ML and VR Kit and all this kind of stuff. And Dermot, I'm assuming that that theme wasn't just in the keynote. I'm guessing that continued through the sessions all week. I, I think first of all, if you if you uh, go back, um, I'd say go back about a year and count the amount of times that Tim Cook has mentioned. AOR and VOR. He keeps mentioning it in passing almost. Oh, yeah, but there's some interesting times ahead. You know, he hasn't done anything, he hasn't really talked specifically, but even going back a year, he's been saying there's some fast, fantastic advances coming in AOR. And he's talking about the, the need for technology to be able to, you know, the processor speed and GPU speeds and so on to come up to, to, come up to what, um, you know, be good enough technology, if you know what I mean. So if the the AOR demo that you saw on on the, I don't know if it was shown on the keynote, but the, there was a demonstration area at Dublin this year and you were able to play with that AOR demo. And literally you were pointing an iPad at a table, you were dropping a chair and a lamp onto it. You could move them around and interact with them and they were casting shadows and so on. But also as you panned around it, you were walking around the 3D object. If you moved closer to it, they didn't. it didn't go away as you'd almost be expecting. It came closer to you. It's you know, super, super impressive, I have to say. Cool. There's a lot of videos linked in the show notes at letsastalk.e actually of various things that developers have built with AORKit just this week, basically, or just in the last few weeks since, since the keynote at the start of the month. And then there's also interesting partners Apple have picked, like IKEA, where you can use this AOR technology in an app they're going to be releasing soon, where you can try out the furniture in your own home. How, how, you know, will this couch look stupidly big in my sitting room? Oh, no, it fits perfectly. I mean, genius, absolute genius. Absolutely. So definitely very excited about all that kind of stuff. Okay, does anyone want to raise anything else before we draw a curtain over WWDC? Anything that was important that we haven't covered that we should have? Okay, I'm going to say well done, folks. Oh, Sorry, I was just about to say the 10.5-inch iPad was uh, an interesting move, I thought, uh, coming from the the 9.7 one. It's, It's almost like they've sort of said... We like the 9.7 one because it's light, and we like the 12.9 one because it's got a nice big screen. And so they've just decided to do something in between, which I think is very sensible. Given the bezel shrinking, in terms of physical form factor, it's not really bigger, is it? What you're just getting is more bang for this. You're basically getting a more usable space in the same physical form factor-ish. Yes, but it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, for all the multitasking stuff they've been talking about, and yeah. it, it just fits in with that portfolio, as it were. Every every review I've read of this uh, have really talked about the higher scan rates, the higher refresh rates, and how it, it's 
it's a big game changer. It, people are, are actually describing the higher refresh rates as similar to when you first got retina displays, that it makes the display so much nicer. Um, and then, uh, Linda, you, you touched on this earlier. Those new screens in the IMAX are stunning. They're absolutely amazing. I've never seen a screen like them. And everybody's talking about the iP- the this new um, iPad screen in, in similar with similar plaudits. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it's all lovely hardware. And when that iPad or that iMac Pro comes out later in the year, I definitely, I'm not going to be able to afford one. Let's be honest. Not going to be even nearly able to afford one. <laughs> But it, I think it'll be a sweet, sweet machine. So it's nice to see the hardware is still, they're still able to do it. They're still able to wow us with hardware. Okay, Indeed. so main story number one there. So this is why there's only two of them in this this month's show. Um, but I don't think we could have a show in June of 2017 and not, or for June of 2017, and not talk about the fact that it has now been... 10 years since in June of 2007, Apple changed the world by releasing the iPhone. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think that's actually an accurate description. And that milepost, or that sort of that obvious milestone has unsurprisingly resulted in some interesting details coming out. So there's links in the show notes to the video of... An event held in the Computer History Museum where first they had a panel with three of the engineers who were instrumental in actually creating the iPhone, followed then by a one-on-one interview with Scott Forstall, which is basically his first breaking of his silence since leaving Apple. Both were as fascinating as each other. Obviously, the Forstall interview is more, he's more of a star than the other engineers I'd never met before, you know, I'd never even heard of before. But actually, I found the session with the engineers to be at least as interesting as the session with Scott Forstall. So linked in the show notes, I would watch it a lot. I think it's very, very enjoyable. There's also a new book for you to go buy on um, iBooks, which is called The One Device. And it tells the story of the iPhone's creation kind of in an interesting way, because the iPhone couldn't be without things like Gorilla Glass and all those, you know, these other great things done by other companies. And the book looks at the big picture stuff what's going on in corning and that kind of thing so it's it's an interesting take on it i haven't finished the book but i i have started it and i'm enjoying it um so that's the one device uh and then the wall street journal also um released a 10 minute video where they interview a whole panoply of apple bigwigs past and present and they talk about some of the things that went wrong during the creation of the iPhone and the times it almost went off the rails, which is actually interesting to hear that reflected on. I guess you could only do that 10 years in. You can't do that when the thing is new because you'd be afraid of damaging cells or whatever. But now that it's secured, you can actually talk about that, which that was interesting. And then Recode had an interesting one, how Apple's iPhone changed the world 10 years in 10 charts. And so they are all at lesshashtalk.ie in the show notes. So... What do you, you know? How how do we express how important the iPhone is to the to the world? I mean, it's almost impossible, right? I think it sounds like we're gushing right over over something we all like, but I I don't think what you've said is an exaggeration. I think that 
in in my lifetime, if I think about you know important uh, either discoveries or inventions, um, I think it's the internet, and then I think it is the iPhone. I really do. And I saw a, a, a thing a while ago on Reddit where somebody said, if you could tell your 10-year-old self something that you that they wouldn't believe, what would it be? And somebody replied that you could walk around with a four-inch piece of glass that gives you access to all of the world's information. <laughs> and it's, I mean, yeah. It really is true. It really is true. It's absolutely stunning. And it is the... Uh, what I would call the real first personal computer because everybody um, everybody keeps their own calendar on it, their own email, their own messages, their friends, all that sort of stuff. It's become really, really personal device. And even shortly after it, um, shortly after it came out, I used to see people with their first iPhones and somebody would always say, I can have a look at it and they'd hand it to them. But within 30 seconds, they were getting nervous and wanted it back. People don't touch my phone. No, 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 yeah. no. It's, it's the true personal computer. And, and, you know, lots of people, it's the last thing they, they look at at night. The first thing they look at in the morning, it's not necessarily a good thing, but literally you run your life through them these days. And even if you, detest Apple and even if you never buy an Apple device ever 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 in your entire life because you think they're the spawn of Satan the iPhone has completely changed your life because that Android device you're using instead or that Microsoft device you may have found somewhere they are they none of those would exist either without the iPhone so whether you're an Apple user or not Apple didn't change the life of Apple users Apple changed everyone's life yeah absolutely uh, and it really oh, is a personal device. And the fact that we now have Touch ID makes it actually makes it even more personal. It's a slab of glass that only your finger opens. I think putting myself back into before the iPhone, uh, it, it, the best way to describe it is sci-fi come true. Right. I mean, it was it Adam it, Christensen had the before podcast. Before that, it was sci-fi. Yeah, we have communicators. It's my favorite name of a podcast ever, right? Because yeah, Star Trek has just come into being. Yeah, yeah, it it it, it it's that significant because it, it it's it's like the the visions from the sixties of what of what the future would be like. Somewhere in there was the iPhone. Yeah. Definitely, <laughs> it's just they didn't know that at the time. You know, I'm just waiting for Tesla to bring out a, a, an Apple Watch app and then Knight Rider will be true as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, the, I like it. The fact that it has no visual moving parts, it, we're getting close to the kind of magic technology on Stargate. It was always... Something was always kind of cool about Stargate was the technology didn't look like technology. It looked like magic because they were you know, old-looking artifacts that did amazing things. Well, mm. the iPhone is a slab of glass that no one who picks it up really understands how it works. It's just this magic slab of glass and aluminium that just does stuff. I mean, we are getting a bit Arthur C. Clarke indistinguishable from magic sort of territory here with these devices. And it's... They are kind of impressive. And 10-year-old me would not believe that I could have a true computer in my pocket. 
with him. Uh, and, and we we complain because it doesn't it doesn't understand our voice. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> my desktop had less pixels in total than it takes to render the number two on the current time on my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, they really are stunning and. If you see early prototypes of Android before the iPhone and after the iPhone, what you see before the uh, the iPhone is clones of the BlackBerry. And what you see after the iPhone, across the entire industry, is clones of the iPhone. It completely changed how we think about interacting with computers. First time, there's no middleman, right? We had the keyboard as the middleman. We had the mouse as the middleman. We had that funny thumb wheel on the side of the BlackBerry as the middleman. The iPhone just went, sod the middleman. You know, not even a stylus. You are just going to interact with this thing, and that that is that that did actually change everything. So, and I think that's I think part of what made that keynote just quite so exciting. I mean, I I've watched it again recently, and it's still incredibly exciting to watch. Yeah. Was the f- fact that Apple had got an inkling about how big this was, and yes. they knew. So they were full of glee when they were announcing it because they knew this was going to just change the world. And Steve Jobs has done that before, right? So when Steve Jobs was standing up to announce the Macintosh, Steve Jobs knew he had something amazing. And when Steve Jobs stood up to announce the iPod, he knew he'd done something amazing. And when he stood up to announce the iPhone, he knew he'd done something amazing. What what they might not have realised is just how it would touch so many people, so many people's lives. I mean, with, with the iMac... They knew it was going to it was going to be big. They knew it was going to change a, a lot of Mac owners' lives. Mm. But with the iPhone, it's just so across the board that uh, that even they may not have realised just quite how big it was going to be. Now I know they were underestimating because that's Apple. But Steve Jobs' stated objective was one percent of the smartphone market, which was at the time about one percent of the total market. Yep. Right. If I may. Mm-hmm. I was I was lucky enough to be at that keynote. Oh, and wow. oh so jealous! I, I, yeah, well, I was I was by myself because I hadn't connected up with my buddies yet because getting there and so on and so yeah. forth from where I. But um, I was sitting way in the back, but I could see you know this little Steve way up on stage, and of course they have the they have big screens all over the place so you can see more closely. Yeah. But the man that was sitting next to me had a, P- a Windows PC on his lap, and he had it connected to the net using some kind of a gizmo that they had back then. I can't even remember what it was. And he was typing away. And, you know, Steve would say something and people would cheer and I would clap, you know, because here I am, this enthusiastic Apple fan. And this guy would just kind of give me a look. And I kind of, I was just kind of looking at him like, huh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, but at the end of it, Right about the time, you know, Steve announced he showed the actual phone. This guy looks at me and he goes, it's huge like that. And in retrospect, (laughs) that is so funny. (laughs) So I don't know where the guy is now. I never had no idea who he was. But it's just so funny because I'm assuming he was reporting back to some competitor is the only story I can make up about why he was sitting there with a PC typing away, and his criticism was that it was too big. So, well, it did invert the whole trend of smaller, 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 right? Because we all remember the joke, you know, Apple's going to release a phone and it'll be so small you can't see it. Because it seems like Nokia yeah. had a shrink ray somewhere up in Finland, and then the iPhone came <laughs> along, and then they got in trouble for being too too small. 
Oh, Samsung are way better than you. Look how look at these giant slubs of glass they're selling. Apple are behind the times. Their phones are too small. Talk about exactly. a difference. Yes, yes. So I'm trying to remember the famous put down of the iPod. It ended in the word lame. It was a, I can't remember what. I can't remember. It was basically one of these memes on, I guess, Newsnet back then, probably. Uh, Usenet even. Um, where basically someone someone's first impression of, of the iPod was basically just, you know, reading off some stupid stats and completely not understanding that's about the user interface. And that's, that's the iPhone, right? Um, yeah, you know, there's, there's always great articles. I mean, you know, if you're in the tech press, um, you know, you're, you're always in danger of writing a completely idiotic article, either by predicting the future and being completely wrong or by slating something that's about to get massive. And there's some great articles being knocking around on the, for this 10-year um, anniversary about, you know, uh, I think the third quarter in, sales did dip slightly. Um, and this was just before Apple tweaked the the price plans with, with um, I guess it was AT&T at the time. I don't I can't remember what their network was. It was, a, it was AT&T, it was, yeah. It was basically yeah, when they went to subscription. Network stuff. Um, but they, they, they dropped the price significantly. But in the third quarter, it dipped. And, of course, there was articles saying, you know, Apple's keyboardless uh, phone <laughs> is, is dead in the water kind of thing, you know. Um, so there's also a story knocking around the last couple of weeks about the guy who tried to take a class action suit because the phone or the battery wasn't replaceable. Yeah, now, yeah. These, these are really funny stories now. But at the time, people were saying, what do you mean I can't change the battery? And we... You know, I, I remember specifically somebody coming to me saying why he's not going to get um, why he's not getting an iPhone because it's a closed system and I want the ability to change a battery. And I explained to him like, well, I've had Nokia's for years and the fact that you can change the battery leads to loose connections and the thing dies all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so in, in hindsight, of course, now, you know, pretty much it's still quite common to to find you know apple aren't the only devices that you can't replace the batteries in now of course but um looking back at some of the articles from 10 years ago uh, can make for some funny reading all right actually that that famous ipod quote i looked it up because well that's just me no wireless less space than a nomad lame that, that goes down in history as the dumbest observation of the ipod announcement and I'd love to know what Rob Enderley was writing on the day the iPhone came out, but I'm sure it was right up there with Steve Ballmer's scoffing at the iPhone, which is yeah. extra hilarious given what happened with Windows Phone. Yeah. Okay, well, we've... Uh, um, yes, we. I think we've probably done that to death, saying how brilliant the iPhone is, but I genuinely do believe that it is a world-changing device, and I, I don't think it's just Apple fans who say that. I think that's objectively true. Yeah. Mm. So before we wrap up the show, just a few other quick stories I want to mention, uh, draw people's attention to. Um, there's been a lot of talk about right to repair bills. So it's kind of important that Apple announced that they are giving 400 third party authorized repair shops in 25 countries machines for repairing iPhone screens so that the Touch ID and all that kind of stuff still works. So proper authorized machines and they're going to have those 400 in place by the end of 2017. So that might take the pressure off them a little bit. 
Uh, Apple are also making a small concession to publishers. They are adding aggregated demographics to Apple News, stressing, of course, that these are aggregated demographics and that they are not handing out our privacy, which is good. Uh, Tim Cook has stated the blindingly obvious, yes, we're working on a car. The whole world explodes with the no bleep. Um, Apple have updated AppleCare Plus to include accidental damage on Macs, which is an interesting new feature. Um, the beautiful rainbow Apple Watch bands are now on sale. For a long time, Apple only gave them out at things like Pride. So basically, you could only get one given to you by Apple. You couldn't actually buy one. There's lots of knockoffs around. Um Apple are now selling their official rainbow band and part of the proceeds are going to LGBTQ charities, which is interesting. Um, again, I think sort of in line with what you were talking about, uh, Dermot, Apple do do stuff for corporate these days because I think Tim Cook sees that market much more than Steve Jobs ever did. So Apple and Cisco have partnered up again. Um, and Tim Cook, in fact, came along to Cisco's annual conference, which obviously gets nowhere near as much attention as WWDC. Uh, but Tim Cook and Chuck Robbins, the Cisco CEO, announced together something called Security Connector, which is a new enterprise security app for iOS devices. So, again, that's really important for Apple in the enterprise. And Apple basically have completely taken that away from BlackBerry because Android in the enterprise isn't nearly secure enough because, well, it's Android got the model wrong. Uh, and then finally, Apple have started to actually put out some of their own homemade video content. Planet of the Apps is out there, as is a documentary about Bad Boy Records called Can't Stop, Won't Stop. So I don't believe Planet of the Apps is getting particularly good reviews. I haven't watched it myself. Has anyone watched either of these? I watched the first episode tonight when I realized it was in the show notes. And? Um... I wrote an article, a Medium article, when it, when it was first announced, and my, my article was ta- called Planet of the Apps. No, just no. Um, <laughs> okay. Vindication? I've got to be honest, it's uh, but not as bad as I expected it to be. Okay, so, that's interesting. Uh, so I, the, the other people's opinion I've heard had high expectations, and they came out sorely disappointed. But you yeah, no, with low, low expectations. expectations and came came out uh, less less disappointed. But you know, it's not something I think is. I still don't think it's a good idea. I think the 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 fear I had was that it would turn the process of developing apps into these bite sized pieces and and hide all the complexity. Um, in fact, in episode one, without giving any spoilers away, uh, the the various pitches were actually. Uh, people who'd already built up a user base and so on so uh, it, didn't, it didn't really cover that it's you know a complex endeavor but um it, it did it, it 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 went through some of the processes of how people are getting um funding and so on so uh look it's still it's still uh dragon's den or or, or, or for for the app industry so you know, no different way Dragons Den. I think devalues, uh, you know, devalues the effort that goes into building any sort of a business. Um, look, it's not a show I'd be dying to watch again and again. Fair enough. But no, it's, I'm glad one of us watched it so we can say something about it. Um, I have to be honest, Netflix seemed to be an awful lot better at making original content, so I only have so many hours in the day. And yeah. I did hear that the second episode of that was better. 
I, I have not seen either. So I just want to say that, but I did hear that. So for what that's worth. Yeah. Well, I mean, any show takes a while to bed in, right? But yeah, the, the concept just doesn't make me go, ooh, I must watch that. It's like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, folks, thank you very much for giving so freely of your time. Um, if I could remember what order I introduced you and I could go in reverse order, uh, I think I went geographically closest to me. So let's start geographically furthest away. Linda, if the listeners would like to follow more of what you get up to, is there any link you'd like to give them? Uh, Twitter is probably the best. Um, LLG. The number four, C like cat, D like David, G also uh, on Twitter. And I will just say that I uh, my claim to fame, uh, besides um, living here in Silicon Valley, so I'm bl- lucky enough to do that, so I'm on the ground, but also Mac User Group, Silicon Valley Mac User Group. We do a lot of work with them, and um, that's that's my one of my passions. Excellent. So if you're... if you're physically in the Silicon Valley, check you guys out because Mac User Group's a great idea. Yeah, it's fun. Excellent. Nick, where do you uh, hang around on the interwebs? Um, You can get me on uh, Spligosh on Twitter. S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, Dermot, do you want to let people know uh, where you hang out? Yeah, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter at Dermdaily, D-E-R-M-D-A-L-Y. And if someone's looking to have a nap made, uh, they could do a lot worse than talk the top of do, I think. Oh, if you say so. Absolutely. Well, I think they should, right? I mean, they've heard your expertise. They absolutely should. Absolutely. Okay, well, I've been your host, Bart Bouchots. Before I wrap up, there are detailed show notes at lets-talk.ie, and the panel can attest they are seriously detailed. Although I skipped over everything on WWDC quite quickly, I gathered all the links together. So there is massive show notes, lots of links to videos of the AOR stuff in action, lots of cool things in there. So definitely go over to letstashtalk.ie and check out the show notes. While you happen to be there, there'll be large blue buttons under a banner very subtly called support the show. Uh, as always, I want to say that every one of you within the sound of my voice who already supports the show, I appreciate it very much. You guys make it possible for this show to continue to exist. So without you, we wouldn't all be here. So thank you all very much. And that's the people who support us financially and the people who support us by reviewing us on iTunes, by telling their friends, by tweeting about us, by liking our tweets, you know, just who in any way whatsoever spread the word about this show. You, All of that is appreciated uh, and, you know, I don't take it for granted. Thank you very much. Uh, there are very practical ways of supporting the show. The single most effective way to, to help out is to become a patron of the show on Patreon. Effectively, you pledge a small dollar amount for every episode that comes out. It will be exactly two a month, one photography, one Apple. So if you want to give $5 a month, you pledge two fifty. If you want to give $2 a month, you pledge $1, you get the idea. And that is just an extremely efficient mechanism of getting small dollar donations to achieve actual results. Patreon is an amazing service for that. There's also a plain old PayPal button. And if you are looking for some swag, there's a Zazzle store where you can buy actually really nice coffee mugs. They're insulated coffee mugs that keep your coffee warm. They're actually nice. And t-shirts and stuff. Uh, You become a walking advertisement for the show, which obviously helps out. And you have a thing. And there is a, um, a percentage of your sale goes back to the show. And then if and only if you're in need of domain names, then you can click a referral link for hover.com. 
clicking that link without buying anything achieves absolutely nothing apart from wasting your time. So really, this is only for people who actually need domain names. But if you do, it is actually a nice way to support the show. And Hover are a really nice domain register. So I, I got an affiliate link with Hover because I love Hover, not because they have affiliate links. And in a similar vein, I'm a huge fan of DigitalOcean for uh, virtual private servers, basically droplets. Uh, so if you need web hosting... Then if you use the affiliate link for DigitalOcean, you help yourself and you help the show. Basically, you get some money off. I get some money from you guys on my hosting bills. Clearly, go to it helps the show. But again, those last two only achieve something if you actually need those services. So don't click on them just for the crack. They're only for people who are nerdy enough to need such things. So all of that, let's-talk.ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchots. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Five, four, three, two, one. And we are go. Go? Wait. Go where? The commercial, Guy. We're recording a commercial for the MyMac.com podcast. Ah, so we're recording the podcast now. Well, no, not now. At the moment, we're recording this commercial. So when do we go? Go where? I don't know. You started this whole go thing. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. We have no idea what we'll say next.